Pound for Pound, Sugar Ray Robinson, the greatest fighter ever lived. I suppose nobody in here ever heard of Cassius Clay. We got a point. Cassius Clay was a bad motherfucker. Hey, I ain't saying Clay ain't bad. You must be out of your goddamn mind. Joe Lewis, the greatest boxer ever lived. I'll be with you boys in a minute. He was bad in Cassius Clay. He bad in Sugar Ray. He bad in that. Who that? You, the new boy. Mike, Mike, Mike Tyson looked like a bulldog. He bad in him, too. He done whipped Mike Tyson's ass. He whipped all their ass. What about Rocky Marciano? He bit Joe Lewis's ass. That's right, he did whoop Joe Lewis' ass. Joe Lewis was 75 years old when he fought. I don't know how old he was, but he got an ass whooped. Fuck you! Fuck you and fuck you! Last Draw Podcast. This is Dean and Adam. It's their show. Dean and Adam, what are you guys planning on doing today? Absolutely nothing. Arguing with each other? So it's like a, an episode of Seinfeld mixed with first take. This should be good. Uh, these guys, they talk about boxing for about 30 to 40 minutes, and they argue various topics. We, they get scored, judged, and countered by me and each other. And we'll see who has the better episode at the end. Um, guys, are you ready to go? Yeah, sure. Ready. Okay, good. Dean, you might want to wake up a little bit, like drink some coffee or something. I'm fucking dying, man. <laughs> well, you... And our next fighter have something in common because something is dying uh, with both of these guys. <laughs> Sergey Kovalev and Adonis Stevenson. Make the fucking fight happen. Guys, these guys have circled each other for long enough. And by long enough, I mean longer than three months. And now boxing fans are itching, choosing sides, hating on one. Sergey Kovalev and Adonis Stevenson. Who wins this match should it? If it ever happens, Dean, why don't you go first? Since you're dying, and we want you to speak before you die. So yeah, I think Adonis Stevenson wins this fight simply because in the last couple of outings, Kovalev has looked. Um, if you can take his power, he definitely looks vulnerable. Uh, Pascal shown that he's able to be punched and be punched hard. I think in that situation, if it's Stevenson landing that punch and not somebody like Pascal, then. Kovalev's going to sleep, same as anybody else in the division. I mean, Stevenson, he's also vulnerable, but he's never been... I wouldn't say Kovalev's been in there with somebody who can test that chip properly, and I just I think Stevenson would make him go. That's my argument, anyway. I think he's been in there with people like Biko, and he managed to knock... Was it Biko he not managed to knock over? And Fonfara, he's been in there with some top guys at the weight, and Kovalev seems to be sort of dawdling around people like Pascal, rematching Pascal when he doesn't need to be doing it. People are critical about Stevenson and his calibre of opponent, but there's absolutely no need for a Pascal rematch. I, I do think Stevenson would probably knock him out. All right. What about you, Adam? So, first of all, Saki Obika is not even a top fighter at 168, let alone no, 175. But, but let's put that aside for a minute. Yo. She ain't recognize your ass, man. So here's why I think Kovalev wins the fight. And let me be clear. I don't think that this is some like clear, obvious, I'm not you know, betting my mortgage on Sergey Kovalev if this fight happens. But the reason, if I had to bet, I'd put my money on Kovalev is this. Um, one is I think he's got more wrinkles to his game. So Adonis Stevenson is basically just a straight left-hand spammer. I mean, that's, that's what he wants to do. He waits to set up that punch. He has a lot of success with it, and good for him. But he's never really shown an ability to add some more wrinkles to that game. 
uh, and he's always looking to land that sledgehammer left. And if he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't, you know, get those opportunities, he doesn't look as good. I think Kovalev has slightly better power. I think the fact that he's a more active fighter, that he throws more punches around, that uh, is that because he's know, killed somebody in the ring. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, that's the highest that's level of activity question, there man. can be. Um, I think he's faced what? slightly better opposition. Frankly, neither of these guys have faced great opposition. Um, but two things that I would sort of wrap it up with. One is I think we've seen that Stevenson can be hit and put down. I mean, he, he went down against Fonfari. He took a straight right right on the chin and fell on his ass. Um, and, you know, just to turn your argument around on you, if that Sergey Kovalev landed that punch, he's not getting up. Uh, and the last thing is Stevenson is 38 years old. Like, people forget this. He's 38 years old. Uh, so, hey, well, which is, yeah. especially for a bigger fighter, that's pretty old. And so, um, if I got to put Let's my money go. down, I'm putting it on Crusher. I just think the power that he's talking about is you're basing it on the fact that somebody unfortunately died in the ring facing him. It's an accident, it happens. You don't have to be a massive puncher to die from punishment in the ring. Shit is fucked up in the boxing world. I think Stevenson's displayed one punch power more than Kovalev has. Kovalev's a clubbing puncher. I wouldn't say he's like a, a, a single punch knockout specialist like you could call Stevenson. Yeah, but he's knocked everybody out. At the top levels of the sport, you know, with the exception of Bernard Hopkins, who, you know, nobody knocks out Bernard Hopkins. Well, he couldn't knock out a 50-year-old uh, Hopkins. Yeah, he couldn't knock out one of the best defensive fighters of a generation. That's not, that's not that big a black yeah, mark. a generation uh, that's already gone. Everybody thought that John Pascal had this iron chin before that fight, and he no, cracked he Pascal's no. iron chin. No, they uh, didn't. And he's got knockouts in all of his Who other fights. People? Who are these people level. that thought Pascal had a cast iron chin? There were people who were writing articles about his George Chuvalo esque chin uh, and those before that need fight. To and I learn what yeah. boxing is. Need to well, listen to what they're fucking saying. Those people might have a screw loose, but the point is, is people thought that Pascal had this epic chin. Uh, Kovalev has proven that he's got that kind of power. Everybody talks about that power. Um, and the thing is, is that he has it in both hands, not just uh, in that one you know, straight punch that uh, Stevenson's always looking for. I'm going to jump ahead here and kind of like show cards on what's to come. But let me ask you guys this. When was Manny Pacquiao's blaze of glory? When would you guys say it was? I mean, generally agreed upon, it's when. I'd say, what do you mean? When Pacquiao What's was his at peak? his peak, yeah. Miguel about Cotto. 2000, yeah, about Cotto. Any time between... 2009. Yeah, probably about 2009, 2010. So I'm looking for a range. So I would say that it's from 2005 to 2009. Pop, when he yeah, was jumping yeah. the weight classes, when he was blitzing through these guys and knocking guys out. Because after yeah. Cotto, he stopped knocking guys out very often. Yeah, I mean, what was that? Guys but out. the point I'm making here is that Pacquiao did that, a one-handed fighter. He had he used his right hand very seldomly. I wanted to say that, but and Pacquiao Pacquiao attacked differently. He didn't. Not well, by that point. I mean, look at look at Ricky Hatton. That first knockdown in the Hatton fight was that Manila Ice. They called it the right hook. Like that was the whole. It was point a fucking left hand. Had that wrinkle to his game. It was a left hand. But the point I'm making here is that Stevenson, like Pacquiao have one weapon that they know works and their entire game plan is built around that weapon. And it's not that much of a hindrance at, if you can get to the level that they've gotten at using that weapon, yeah, if you they've mastered it, it. Shit. Go for it. Yeah. 
But what separates a guy like Stevenson from a guy like Pat, or what separates Pacquiao from a guy like Stevenson, what puts him at that you know great level, whereas Stevenson's just good, is, he is that injuries? he had other wrinkles to his game. He had that speed, uh, the speed freak well, aspect, and he had a later. pretty good right hook. It came later. You can't you can't say that Pacquiao was very dynamic very early on in the game, and he suffered for it when he fought Morales. But let's just get things clear: um, Kovalev's no Eric Morales. Well, sure. A few people are. <laughs> At this point, yeah. Uh, so whoever wants to stop putting their microphone in their mouth, that would be good. Now, I'm not going to score it. I'm going to let let it leave it up to the people who listen to score that one. Let's jump That's on. That's Adam then because everybody hates Stevenson because he's a haven fighter. That's probably true. So That, that and the woman beating. Oh well, so? the pim- the pimping. What about the uh, racism? Well, I, mean, I know. I love help. it that both of these guys have like kind of weak opposition uh, and are like genuinely hateable people, uh, and we get to debate them. It's fun. And and notice that the black one is the one who's hated. Just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> You're so not guys, wrong, guys. Who is the greatest Mexican fighter of all time? Dean, you went first last time, so Adam, it's your turn to go first. Canelo. So <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it is not Canelo Alvarez. Uh, I'm going to go with Julio Cesar Chavez, senior, not junior, in case anyone was wondering. Um, I, I mean, if wondering. you look at the dude's resume, he had, what was it, 29 title defenses over his career, uh, famously had 86 straight wins. But when I was looking it up, so over you were looking at every so, kid at the Boys and Girls Club. Well, but if, if you look, but more importantly, he had eight years where he was clearly the best fighter in the division. If you look at the Ring Magazine's rankings, uh, he's the top guy in the division he was fighting in for eight years in a row, uh, which is not something that happens pretty frequently. And if you look at the resume, wins over people like Rocky Lockridge and Edwin Rosario. Uh, I know we debated this last time, but I'll count it for these purposes. Meldrick Taylor. Uh, Hector Camacho, like, you know, he's got, he's got that kind of resume. Um, he defended the title so many times he marched up in weight, but unlike most people, uh, didn't sort of go too far weight wise, uh, at least not in his prime and, um, and had a long reign where he was clearly the best guy in the division and clearly one of the best pound for pound fighters in the game. Uh, and so while Mexico has produced a ton of great champions, I think uh, Chavez nips it for me. All right, Dean. I'm going to go with Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Simply. <laughs> 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 no. Oh, I, get, no. I guess he's the greatest fighter of all time named Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Um, but as I think far you could as... probably find somebody that could beat him to it. Uh, you might be able to. All right, for real, I'd say Juan Manuel Marquez. Oh, Simply because, Ooh. yeah, because I'd like to counter the argument he had with those, was it 24 title defenses or 24 title fights? He didn't 29. really fight. He didn't fight top-level opposition. And I think, I think it was rare that he fought any top-level opposition. He had a very, very padded record. I mean, I'm a fan of well, Chavez. 86 wins. <laughs> yeah, I am a fan of Chavez, but it's a padded record. I mean, Wilder got a world title fight from, was it 30, whatever, 30 people they found on the street? 
And you can argue about Marquez as well. He holds wins over all-time greats. Who like, other uh, than Pacquiao? Well, not Floyd Pac- Mayweather. Pacquiao three times. Uh, come on. So who other than Pacquiao does he have wins over that you think is an all-time great? Yo, she ain't recognize your ass, man. Pacquiao three times. There's one that you're no, missing, you but even that one's debatable. Cool. If you're talking about Barrera, it's not. You don't think? Well, obviously, it's it's not debatable that Barrera is great. It's debatable that Barrera in two thousand eight or whenever that fight was was still great. Yeah, but then you're arguing the same thing over people like Camacho. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in terms of so you were talking Besides, about all the all also, the cab drivers from Tijuana that you yeah, know, everybody famously also, talks about Chavez. Marquez has fought at a higher level, and he's also he's won titles in more weight classes as well. He's always so been on lists. Here's what I look at. If you compare their top five wins. So the top five wins, I think you'll probably agree with me for... Uh, uh, Chavez. Well, let's <laughs> no, do Chavez. For... Do Chavez. All right, so for Chavez. Okay, fine. Uh, Meldrick Taylor. Rocky Lockridge, Juan Laporte. Who? Who? Edwin, Lo- Edwin Rosario, Meldrick Taylor, and Hector Camacho. And depending on if you, if you don't want to count Meldrick Taylor, then maybe you throw Roger Mayweather in there. The top five for Marquez, you got Pacquiao. Pacquiao again. Pacquiao you got Barrera. Time. You got an older Barrera. And then we really start to get a little dicey. We're talking about Juan, Juan Diaz, maybe. Joel Casamayor. Orlando, Orlando Salido. Salido. Like good fighters, but rugged guys, not great fighters. So if you're trying to compare top wins, too, I think... Yeah, sure, Chavez beat up a lot of cab drivers from Tijuana, but it was a different era when guys used to do that. To maintain a top level longer than Chavez was. What about this question here? Who has decisively beaten Marquez in their career? Mayweather, that's it. I think yeah. if you're going to that's argue it. for Marquez, that's, that's the it. crux of the whole argument. I mean, apart from you know his DQ in his first fight ever, um, Marquez has only been beaten decisively once. And, I mean, the Freddie Norwood fight was arguable. Uh, Chris John, you know, that wasn't... They were in Indonesia, so... Do we not count that one? We're not going to count that one. Yeah, but then you can argue Pacquiao 1 was a Marquez win. You can argue Pacquiao 3 was a Marquez win. Pacquiao 4 is obviously a Marquez win. Bradley, you could have gone either way. Right, so, yeah. I mean, you could say that Mayweather is the only one that's ever truly beaten Very, up Marquez. Yeah, and he's the only per- Marquez has said Mayweather's the only person who he thought he sat like truly beat him. He said he thought he had an argument for every other, every other fight that he apparently lost or didn't win. So with Chavez, there was a lot of fights that Chavez fought when he was coked up or when he was an alcoholic or whatever the fuck he was doing that he was, that he was fighting and he was losing those fights. Like Marquez was able to maintain a higher level of opposition a lot longer than Chavez was. I think when we're looking at the highs, Chavez I mean, takes it because Marquez does have so much controversy uh, surrounding his career, and uh, his opposition is debatable. On, what, just like with, on, what, um, was, what was Chavez's high then? Well, go on, you tell me what Chavez's high was. The the win over Taylor Camacho, and then drawing with Whitaker, who was at the time I think the best pound for pound fighter in the sport. Okay, so we, he actually lost to Whitaker. You, if you're gonna if you're gonna make points about bullshit decisions, talk about the two that 
Marquez has to Pacquiao. Because Pacquiao was a pound for pound fire, arguably the best in the sport. One of the times he lost to him when Mayweather was retired. I'd say that Chavez. Oh, you want to, no, you want to talk. You want to talk about shit like that. You can't. You can't com- like compare and contrast and then say, "Oh, one of them's got dodgy decisions," but you know, Chavez had a draw. It doesn't work like that. No, it does. It's the same point for each not. guy. It's the same point for each guy where they you they have fights where the decisions were controversial, but if you put it in their favor each time. Okay, what about the Pacquiao knockout? Well, we're not going to talk about the Pacquiao knockout because it wasn't a decision. And that's included in that's included in Marquez's argument for why he's over Chavez. Yeah, and frankly, if he doesn't have that, if it's say he won a decision over Pacquiao in that fight rather than a knockout, uh, I think that absent the knockout, the argument's a hell of a lot harder for Marquez. The fact that he has yeah, the knockout makes it a reasonable anybody. argument between the two. You could say that for Chavez. You could say, oh, imagine if Chavez, if they let Taylor finish the fight and Chavez lost a split decision. Well, I mean, the better one is imagine if Chavez didn't get hooked on drugs or whatever. <laughs> well, well, let's, not get, like, let's not get crazy like, now. Five fights against nobody. You know, you can argue it two and four. But Mark, Marquez has won titles in more divisions. He, he, comp- he competed at a top level a lot longer than Chavez was See, able to. You say that he competed at a top level longer. Where does that yeah. come from? It's titles he fought for at the age Chavez, he fought. Chavez was a pound-for-pound pound fighter for years yeah. and years and years. For eight years was the top fighter in his division. You can't say that about Marquez. Like, yes, I, you, I, can, you, know, you, can, you can argue that Marquez was a pound-for-pound pound fighter. Not for as long as Chavez was, and the entire time he was in the shadow of other fighters so who were better Barrera than he was at the division. Fighting Barrera and Diaz and Pacquiao, all the way up to the Tim Bradley fight, where people had him ranked on Reddit as number three in the sport. You're telling me people, you're, you're telling me that's not the same length of time. No, I'm not saying he was never there. I'm saying he wasn't there for as long. I'm saying Chavez it's, was there it's longer. The same length of time. No, De- I don't think depending so. on you- when we want to recognize that Marquez was one of the top pound for pound in the sport, I don't think it comes until maybe 2006. Because in 2004, he loses okay, to Pacquiao, or they have the draw first. And then in 2006, he loses to Chris John. So I, right. I think, and then in 2008, he loses to Pacquiao again. So somewhere in that range, he got put in the pound for pound discussion. Because whether he was losing or not, Why? he was competitive. Why would he be in that pound-for-pound pound discussion? I think with if his... we're looking at an eye test sort of thing. I mean, I... if we're looking at... Like, the only numbers... win in that range that even matters is Barrera, and the others are... You can you argue know, the same thing fights. about Chavez. No, Chavez never had a streak of dominance the way Marquez... Or Marquez never had a streak of dominance that um Because the level Chavez of opposition did. was higher. Um, you, he fought an old Camacho, and it's then a slippery slope. I mean, right. turd sack from fighting Meldrick Taylor. From fighting Meldrick Taylor, he fought Aguay Addo, Russell Mosley, Jamie Balboa, fucking Kyung Dukan, John Duplessis, Tommy Small, Lonnie Smith, Ignacio. We're we just trying to figure out Lee Carlos that people don't Michael recognize. Michael Katsidis, Juan no, Diaz, is, who is, lost is, three of his last five. Is, this you can is, make the argument both ways to pick apart their resume, so we're going to move this on. This is who he's fought in a row. This isn't me picking names off a list. This is the list. This is how it goes after that win. Okay, so and moving on I have, to... So I have the killer... So wait, got, I have the killer argument. So between the Taylor, killer argument. Between Taylor... Between Taylor and Camacho is three years. Three years. And then between that, nobody, nobody. Greg Hogan, 
Nobody, nobody. Whitaker, draw. Marquez's problem is that he was never able to build momentum because he would because get himself into fights where he'd have, either have a controversial decision or he'd lose. Here's the argument then. What's momentum? What's momentum? How do you build momentum? Do you uh, fight? Eight, do you fight eighty-seven fucking cab drivers and build momentum? Do well, that's one way to do it. The other way is to have like five consecutive wins, where your last six on box rec doesn't have a red circle. Adam. Yeah, and it's to not lose to All people right, like Chris John and Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather. Why in 1992 was Chavez fighting a guy who'd lost his last six fights, who was 10, 10, and 1, if he was supposedly a pound-for-pound pound fighter? Why yeah. was he fighting guys like that? Why was Marquez fighting Juan Diaz, who was 3-3 three and three in his last six fights in 2010, and he had already knocked Zero. him out a year earlier? Not for six, 10, 10, and 1. What sort of level of opposition is that for a pound per pound fighter? You tell me. What sort right. of opposition is Turdsack Kokietchin? That's what I want to know. Oh, he he was a he was a real good fighter at the time. Who actually fought Orlando Salido last year in a really good fight. Let's move on to Carl Froch versus George Groves in their first fight. One of the most controversial events we've had in recent memory. Um, just seeing how as as how it led to such a huge rematch. Now. Was the stoppage fair? I don't know if that's how you guys wanted me to word this question, but that's how it's going to be worded. So, Dean, why don't you go first? Absolutely not. Completely unfair because Frox was in a much worse condition in the first round. He was, well, Groves' legs were going, or if, if you could argue they were gone. But the punishment Frotch had taken all the way through that fight, he was, on, he was in worse standing. The first round, he was dropped, and he was all over the place at the bell. If there was another 30 seconds in that round, Frotch would have been stopped. And then in the sixth round, I think it was the sixth anyway, Frotch was all over the place. He was getting hit cleanly by shots, and I've seen fights that have been stopped for less. But then, because Groves had a reputation for being chinny, for no reason at all, other than the fact that he's took a few punches and he doesn't have this cast-iron chin that Frotch has, the first sign, nine rounds in or eight rounds in or wherever it was, that he started taking punches, the referee jumped on it and stopped the fight. It was premature. If you're gonna let somebody like if you're gonna let Frotch go on in the condition he was in, then you've got to at least return the favour at the first sign of danger for Groves. Because it wasn't like he was all over the place. He got caught with maybe one or two clean shots and his legs buckled a bit. He got put under pressure and got stopped. Frotch was down on the canvas. When he got up, his legs were gone, completely gone. And he got landed cleanly on the bell as well. He has gone there. And then he's shown nothing for the next six rounds. I'm not Groves sure where you're getting the information. Why, why did you say that George Groves is known as Chinny? He wasn't. He'd never been down at that point He had a square. reputation for being Chinny. He did have a reputation for being Chinny. Never been down before, but go on. He, has a re he had a reputation for being Chinny. He said it himself in interviews. That's kind of stupid. Yeah. Well, well, you should have it. never said that, Dean. That just ruined your whole argument because now well, it comes out to George, George Groves oh, is an idiot. Off. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. George Groves is an idiot. He might, so? he might have hurt himself in, still, that, in that regard. Still have been stopped. Uh, go on, Adam. So uh, unlike my counterpart here, I'm actually going to be consistent with our argument from the first episode on this. Oh, and I'm going to say, I'm going to agree with him, though, that, yes, the stoppage was terrible. Um but here's why. So for me, 
you're going to be pretty hard pressed to convince me that stopping the fight when somebody is standing up and standing up straight is the right thing to do. Now, if somebody's wobbling, if somebody's eyes are completely glazed over, so as an example, Peter Quillen, when he got sparked by Danny Jacobs, uh, you know, f- there was some controversy in some circles about whether or not that stoppage was good. I thought that stoppage was fine because if you looked at his face, that dude was not on this planet. He was taking a nap somewhere and his body was just managing to wobble around on the canvas. But if you look at that fight with Groves and Frage in that round, that last round of the fight, they're both kind of going for broke and swinging and Groves is, you know, shelling up a little bit and taking some shots and getting wobbled and Frotch looks tired as hell and his arms are down and he's swinging for the fences. And it's one of these weird sort of slugfest fights. Like, Groves is no doubt in trouble. I don't really doubt that if that fight goes on a whole lot longer that he might actually get knocked down legitimately and get knocked out legitimately, but you need to let the fight play out for that to happen. And this was one of those classic sort of stepping in too early. Uh, And this is the kind of stuff that makes people think shady shit about boxing because, you know, Carl Frotch was favored to win that fight and uh, had been down earlier and had a scare. And if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, you would say, aha, they looked at and found an opportunity to step in and, and save the man that you know everybody thought was going to win this fight uh, from this danger. But if you just look at the knockdown, forget who it is, forget what had happened uh, for the non-knockdown. Uh, if you look at the knockout itself, Groves is standing up straight. He's shelled up, taken some shots, but you know he hasn't uh, given up the ability to defend himself. And that's the wrong call. And we've seen it, unfortunately, all too often in boxing. Groves felt the referee jumped in too soon because his ability to take a good punch has been questioned several times in the past and Frotch is regarded as a very heavy puncher. I feel like the ref got it wrong, Groves said. There's no way it should have been stopped. It's a bitter pill to swallow. I think I'm a victim of my chinny reputation and a victim of Frotch's supposed punching power. So I'm not making this show up. You can't fucking sit there and tell me that my argument got ruined. He said that in the ring after the fight. Did he say it before? Possibly, I don't fucking know. I mean, it's more important to people look before question, because question you're looking it. at the people, expectation that the referee had, not after the fact that the referee's going to say, oh, well, George goes his chinny. Is that knowledge that the referee had prior to the fight? To play. What's that? Reputations come into play. Well, I, that, and that's what I want to know. Is did the was that something that was out there? Something that Groves had said before the fight. That's when it's more important to hear that. Uh, so let's move on to the next one, guys. Down previously. Chin recognize your ass. Let's move on to the next one. Should there be a rule change to prevent what is becoming at times pretty prevalent in boxing, and that is that guys are clinching. It seems more than ever. So should a rule change be made? Um, who went first last time? The other one go first. My turn first this time. Um, no, I don't think there should be a rule change because there's already a rule that says that you can't clinch uh, excessively in a fight. I think that a rule clarification would be helpful. So I'm not one of these people who thinks that any clinching whatsoever is some sort of horrific uh, you know, thing to watch. There are, there, there are parts of boxing that involve that kind of infighting and wrestling and clinching and one arm and a guy's got a hand free. Some of that stuff is interesting to me to watch and fun to watch. And you see guys who use it skillfully and it's a part of the game. 
And so there are some kinds of clinching that are fine. And then there are instances, plenty of them, and I would agree with people when they say it's excessive in some fights, where you know guys use it as a tactic uh, to sort of prevent themselves from having to engage in any kind of fight or skill or exchange at all. And Vladimir Klitschko is a perfect example of it. Great fighter. I'm not trying to take anything away from him in that sense. Yes, you are. But he used it as a strategic weapon that, you know, he wanted to stay on the outside and throw those one-twos and maybe drop a hook in there once in a while. And if things ever got a little bit close, he would just reach out, pull the guy in and clinch and then wait for the separation. That's where it becomes a problem because, you know, I'll use an analogy in basketball. You'll like this one, Angelo that we see this trend now where people intentionally file shitty free throw shooters uh, because, you know, Shout the expected Howard, value. Drummond, De- DeAndre Jordan. Exactly. Make the, your free um, throws, guys. <clears throat> Andre Drummond of my Pistons, right. Because he can't make his free throws, they foul him, and they know that they've got a you know only a 35% chance that Detroit's going to get even a point out of it. Um, and so... Uh, people use that as a tactic and it makes the game awful to watch. And so there's all kinds of talk in basketball about, well, maybe we give the option of a team that's been intentionally fouled that you could give up, you know, don't do the free throws, just take the ball side out uh, so that the other team doesn't get an advantage from doing something that they're theoretically not supposed to do. All right. So just like you've gone too long. What's a too long. (laughs) Didn't listen. You, guys you asked me if like, there should be a rule. I'm telling you there shouldn't be a rule. There should be a clarification, just like there should be in the NBA. Very nice. Dean? Uh, I agree that there should be some clarification on the rule. I don't think that it should be changed. Because I agree that a fighter in dangerous trouble who's wobbly or he's just got off from a knockdown should be able to hold on and clinch the end of a round. I have no issue with that whatsoever. However, what I have an issue with are the referees because the referees know the Queensbury rules and they know that they need to, well, they get told to enforce them. And then when you've got Klitschko versus Povetkin, when the clinch count was 130-something over 12 rounds, that, you know, what, what was Luis Pabon doing? He didn't go to point until 11 rounds in. After it'd been Povetkin, the smaller Povetkin had been leaned on 100 and however many fucking times at that point. It's just too much. Certain fighters will do that, but it's the referee's job to enforce it. There shouldn't be a rule change at all. It's just up to the referees. It's gross incompetency if a referee won't deduct a point for excess clinching. Well, and you can see why they get gun-shy in doing it. Um, So another example is the uh, Lamont-Peterson-Amir Khan fight when Amir Khan had, what, two points deducted, I guess, for pushing off. Now, pushing off is technically against the rules. Like, the, the he ref wasn't, wasn't pushing wrong. off. He was shoving. Let's go. Yeah, well, he sure. did the same he thing against Garcia. I mean, call, call it what you want. Down. It was, and, and again, this is definitely a tactic that Amir Khan uses that when people get too close, he wants to put them out of range and he pushes. And Klitschko you does mean the like same when thing. You drop him by the but the point is, is that that ref got savaged uh, after that fight because of the point deductions even though Khan technically did break the rules. And so you can see why some of these refs don't want to really strictly enforce the clinching rule because they're going to be taking off 30 points from guys like Vladimir Klitschko. So that's why having a clarification like that uh, and encouraging people to start enforcing it 
uh, a little bit more tightly, not all at once, but, you know, gradually so that people can adjust their styles to it, I think would be helpful. Do you think Klitschko's a dirty fighter? Who cares? Does Danny Garcia deserve oh, the universal hate off, and I'm criticism a question. that he gets? Do you think Klitschko's a dirty fighter? You get one word, Are Adam. You? No. All right, good. Does Danny Garcia deserve the universal hate and criticism that he tends to receive? And I'm just going to call it out right now because I know it's coming. It's his hairline. Yeah, we know. So go on, Dean. No, no. He shouldn't get the criticism he does get simply because he's a PBC fighter. He's a Heyman fighter. That's why he gets the criticism he gets because he fought a guy like Rod Salka. But every fucking, every top fighter fights a dud opponent at some point. Like Chavez. So why should Garcia get it? Yeah, like anybody like Klitschko fighting fucking Lee Pai or Mayweather fighting Berto or Paki fighting Bradley a third time. You can call it what you want. It's bullshit. <laughs> Uh, Anybody who criticizes Danny Garcia for shit like that, they're, they're stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. They're just hating. He's a multi-weight world champion. He's unbeaten. He knocked out the lineal 140 fire. You know, I guess that's, that is the path to um, getting hated because Stevenson knocked out the lineal light heavyweight guy. Hated. Garcia knocks out the lineal uh, super yeah, but lightweight. Steve, Stevenson raped kids or whatever the fuck he did. You know? I like how every time you talk to somebody, Stevenson's crimes just get worse and worse. <laughs> I'm gonna next episode. I'll accuse him of something even Stevenson worse. Stevenson dug up a graveyard and pissed on him. You know, it don't. I don't care. Garcia didn't do anything like that. Why? Sh why should he get the universal hate that you say that you call it? Why should he get that? Uh, go ahead, Adam. Why do you hate Danny Garcia? <laughs> So I don't hate Danny Garcia. I agree he doesn't deserve universal hate. I think it's interesting to look at what it is that's sort of the cause of all of this. And what it's funny to me that it all basically comes in one relatively short time frame, if you look at it. And it's essentially uh, just a couple of fights. It's the uh, Mauricio Herrera fight, which obviously was controversial because you know people thought that he got outworked in that and got the decision. Uh, and then it's the Rod Salka fight. And like, I, listen, everyone agrees that that was one of the most absurd mismatches that we've seen in recent years at the top levels of the sport. Uh, and Rod Salka, Rod Salka got, you know, he, uh, he certainly bore the brunt of it when he got knocked out like that. Um, but like, that's really all it is that. And I guess you could maybe say after, uh, Matisse knocks out Peterson with that badass left hook. And everybody thought, you know, Matisse is this just unstoppable monster before the two of them had fought. Danny Garcia is at ringside smiling like a fucking goofball and everybody's putting up gifts that say shook on them. And so no, he wasn't smiling. You know, he was looking scared. That's what everybody thought. Yeah, but it's like it's these three things and that's about it that actually make people hate him. Yeah, the hairline. Yeah, his father's an asshole, whatever. But, I mean, if you look at his resume, his resume is really, really, really good. He's got wins over Nate Campbell, Kendall Holt, you know, Eric Morales twice, obviously Amir Khan, Matisse, Peterson, you know, what, uh, Zab Judah, I guess. Herrera, um, who I think is a yeah, very Herrera, there you go. fire. I hate when people disrespect Herrera and they Didn't talk about him like he's fight? a journeyman. Didn't and so I think that he gets all this hate because of those like couple little incidents, which is sort of funny to me. 
Um, and the Salka thing, you know, people didn't know it at the time, uh, but it was obviously just Heyman burning out the contract. And it's funny how much lasting hate there is because of it. Did you score the Herrera Garcia fight, Adam? I did, yeah. Who did you score it for? Uh, I scored it for Garcia. I think it was 115, 113. I don't remember now. Um, the you actual score, but yeah. You got no, a lot of shit for it as well, didn't you? I did get a lot of shit for it. But if you look at my round by round on that, you can see in each one of the rounds at the end, I'm like, fuck, man, I don't know. Uh, I guess 10-9 Garcia because he landed some no, more I completely agree with you. I think, I think criticism is completely unwarranted. It was an ugly fight to score. But at the same time, did did Herrera really beat the champion? And does Garcia really deserve the level of criticism he gets? He's a pound-for-pound fighter. Let me ask you guys this question. Do you think anybody's ever rewatched the Garcia Herrera fight for fun? For fun? No, certainly not. People have watched it so that they can start arguments about the scoring. Exactly. Does anybody ever watch a fucking Mickey Bay fight for fun? The Molina one, maybe. Maybe. And that's a stretch. All right, so what will Manny Pacquiao be remembered for in 30 years? I think he'll be remembered for marching up the weight classes, uh, knocking lots of people out, having lots of exciting fights, uh, and putting together one hell of a career for himself. Uh, you know, I, 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 and I think he'll probably be remembered for being a part of the biggest event that the sport ever had in Mayweather Pacquiao. Um, and it's funny because he doesn't really get a lot of hate for how that fight went. Uh, everybody seems to sort of blame it on Floyd and just say, oh, it's Floyd's fault because he himself for not being a particularly scintillating performer in that fight himself and getting shut down by the superior. Anyway, he's going to be remembered for being that hard charging speed freak, you know, knockout guy who, who went up and weighed and uh, a lot of people in doing it. What do you think, Dean? I think it can be remembered one of two ways. It'll, it'll still be the only eight division world champion in 30 years time I'm pretty sure of that because it's just freakish I think the closest to it is six so you know eight, eight division world champion in a sport that you know it doesn't have a lot of divisions it's not like it has like 30 divisions it's it's a great great achievement it'll always be remembered for that because you know it's not going to be it's not going to be matched anytime soon if at all but you can also be remembered as this generation's Tommy Hearns. He lost his two biggest fights. He's a pound-for-pound pound fighter, fantastic fighter, but he lost when it mattered. He lost to Mayweather decisively, and he lost his quadrilogy with Marquez decisively. Fair enough. And uh, currently, guys, which undefeated fighter can least afford to take a loss right now? Am I going first on this one, or Dean? I'll go first if you want. Go ahead. I said I say Golovkin. Now, what happens if Golovkin loses, do you think, that makes him, like, number one here? Because people instantly thought, people all come out of the woodwork and say, oh, you know what? You know what? People who were saying he'd never fought any elite-level opposition, any top-tier opposition, you know what? They were all right. He, he, was a hype, he was a hype job. Everybody was just bandwagoning on him because he was knocking guys out. Because simply because he's not, he's not fought anybody other than Lemieux, who's a name. And Lemieux's not a fucking Lemieux's not an elite fighter. Lemieux's barely a champion fighter. He had a belt because he's in a dead division. 
He's he actually had far. a belt because he managed to knock down Hassan Indam quite a few times. Otherwise, he might yeah. not have won that fight. But he's not for anybody with a like with a big name. His pay per view sold the same amount as fucking a hundred eighty year old Roy Jones and Bernard Hopkins rematch. You know, he's he's not for any Cottos. He's not for any Canellos. He's not for any Mayweathers. You know, I think for that reason and that reason only, given that the middleweight division is quite a quite a dead division at the moment, devoid of any clear talent other than maybe two or three guys. I think he can really not afford to lose anywhere at middleweight in his next fight. Simply because if he really wants the Ward fight, if he really wanted a Mayweather fight, you know, can you really be calling out guys from 154 to 168 and take a loss? I don't think you can. Now, if you meant to be this feared punching machine with the highest middleweight knockout ratio of all time or whatever it is. All right, Adam, your turn. So first, I'm going to tell you why it's not Golovkin, and no, then I'll tell you, and then I'll tell you who it is. Tell, no bullshit. I can argue to and for why it's not your guy. I'll just say the same things I said about Golovkin. Well, I'll, no, but it's important because it's not Golovkin because Golovkin is basically modern day Tyson, minus the sort of controversy and and you know particular Great. personality, but being blocked. prison. He's looked prison. he's looked incredibly dominant against you know, List. limited and then ultimately kind of B-grade competition. He's looked incredibly dominant and knocked all those people out. Um, and he's looked fantastic and everybody thinks he's untouchable. But Tyson was not somebody who, who you know, suffered a huge loss in paydays on, after he on. got knocked out against Buster Douglas. Let me stop you. Let me stop you. Let me stop you. Tyson sold. People, people wanted to buy Tyson fights. Nobody wants to buy a Golovkin fight. Oh, wow. Carry on. Wow. Wow. Hold on. Carry on. I need to I need to catch my breath. You got me right in the mouth with that one. <laughs> Is Carry that really a, re- a revolutionary statement? Yeah, clearly these two are on different levels. I'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking about how they have built their name in the sport, uh, the kind of competition that they face, and the reason that people want to watch people like that even but after they suffer a loss. All right, just do me a favor and shut up and listen for a minute. Um, the reason people will want to watch Golovkin after is because he's got that knockout power and people want to see that knockout power and they want to see if he can land that one shot. Now, setting that aside, I'll tell you who it is. It is Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. And the reason that it's... <laughs> Who's that? The, the reason... The reason... gives a shit about anything under well away. Exactly. Here's a guy who's getting HBO fights, who's on Jim Lampley's list, who's on you know pound for pound lists, who's getting himself on undercards of significant fights, uh, and if he suffers a loss, he goes back to obscurity where nobody pays attention beyond people like us. Uh, nobody sees him. He goes back to totally insignificant paydays, uh, and nobody knows who he is. If he keeps up being a dominant, undefeated champion fighting on HBO. Well, he's going to get some pretty good paydays, and he's going to get a lot of exposure, and and he's going to do a lot for you know building up sort of lower ranks of the sport. But if he lo- loses, it's game over. Nobody's paying attention. He's going back to the backwater, and everybody focuses on welterweight and above. What changes that? What make what's the difference between that and Charles Martin losing his next fight? Then one of them is guaranteed to happen. <laughs> yep. Go on, like. <laughs> They're both going to fade into obscurity if you lose. 
Yeah, but the difference is that Charles Martin, nobody thinks that Charles Martin's going to be a significant fighter in the sport. Uh, Chocolatito yeah, already is. You know, Gonzalez is already on pound for pound list. He's already getting HBO fights. This is There's not some big lucrative payday that Martin's going to be losing if he loses a fight. Uh, Lago was on pound for pound list. Uh, I don't know whose pound for pound list he was on. Several people. Who? Uh, Fidel Castro's? <laughs> well, it wouldn't be Castro because he defected. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, guys. Um... You, can't, you can't argue Golovkin is not Golovkin because people want to see him fight. People don't want to see him fight. People would have bought that pay-per-view. How many more fighters in the sport do you think are more are bigger draws than Golovkin right now? I'll grant you that Golovkin's not as big a draw as Tyson, but almost nobody in the sport has been since Tyson. But who's a bigger draw than Golovkin right now? Tyson Fury, Vladimir Klitschko, Deontay Wilder, um, Sergey Kovalev. You think Kovalev's a bigger draw? Yeah, I do. Um, he hasn't even had a pay-per-view fight. Play on pay-per-view, but it sells better. Um, Canelo, um, Miguel Cotto, Manny Pacquiao, Tim Bradley. Tim Bradley? I don't know about yeah. that one. Well, I bet it doesn't do worse. I guarantee you put a Bradley fan on paper. Tim Bradley? Tim Bradley. Do you, re- do you realize who you're, you're saying Tim Bradley? Yeah. Tim- and do you realize that you're talking about a guy who sold the same amount as two guys who had the combined age of about 93? Yeah, what I'm saying is there's only a, a unification handful of people fight. in the sport in a who are even more popular fight, than he is. In a unification fight for three, four belts, it sold 150,000 tops. It barely broke even. Nobody wants to watch him. Look at it this way. What what percentage of people who care about him today would not care internet, about him the day after he loses? And I think that the answer with Golovkin is probably like 85% of people who cared about him today would still care about him after he loses because they want to see him knock people out. Whereas really of people who care about Gonz- uh, of people who care about Gonzalez, approximately zero percent of people are going to care about him tomorrow if he loses a fight. There's enough big punches in the sport. All you right, know, guys, we're out of time. I do, I do want to point out that there's some fighters that you guys missed out on that would have been you guys could have built some funny arguments around. Um, Deontay Wilder would have been one. I think they would have been. Except Wilder. I you no but you said Golovkin. I I was hoping somebody was going to argue Wilder. I mean, you could have basically said all the same stuff and just put Wilder on there. Would have gotten some laughs, some laughs though. I doubt it because if he lo- if he lost his next fight, he could just go and challenge Martin or whoever the fuck holds that idea. Yeah, but who and cares about it. him after that? Anybody who wants to unify the division. Anybody who cares about heavyweights, so most casuals. No, but most casuals aren't going to care if Wilder loses his next fight because they're just going to say, oh, he's actually not the next Tyson because that's what he's been billed as, uh, at Tyson least amongst Moss. the casuals. Let's move on to the last topic. Um, do we need a rematch for Mayweather versus Pacquiao in 30 seconds? Go no, on, Adam. anybody who says it is a complete retard. Okay, well, there's Dean's argument. And Adam, go on. <laughs> From a competitive perspective, of course we don't. It was a very clear win for Mayweather. That said, I think you can make an argument that it's still the biggest fight that can be made in the sport and that it would be hard for the event itself to be less exciting than the original one was. There'd be a lot of pressure on them to step it up. Uh, so from that perspective, I can see why. But competitively, no way. Uh, yeah, I don't 
I don't necessarily agree with that. It might be more exciting because Mayweather doesn't seem like the type to give in. Yeah, well, he turns every fight into a Mayweather fight. And, you know, that's why he's as great as he was. Um, but I think you could certainly say that Pacquiao would be feeling pressure to throw more. and He might uh, injure yeah. his shoulder again, though. Yeah, well, he wouldn't want to re-injure that horrific injury he suffered the first time. Yep. So, all right, guys, um, we're done with this week's episode. Do you guys have anything you want to say to each other? Have you met us before? No, shout out to, to GiftGap for keeping Dean with us, though. You've used that one already. It doesn't count. No, and no, no, man. This is true because Dean's connection did cut out at one point. This well, this well is bottomless. I've tried to explain this There's to you. No what end. part about this do you not fucking understand? It's not an internet supplier. It's not an ISP. Yeah, clearly not. Yeah, it's not an ISP. So you've used the argument twice, and it's going to get you twice. Unlike that bald ass head of yours. You can argue <laughs> all day about that thing. All right, boys. Well, that's it for this week, and we'll be back at some point in the near future. Thank you for listening. You ain't got the answers. That's your answer. You ain't got to turn up, man. This ain't no fucking show, man. I'm talking to you as a homie. Adjourn your asses.